We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Please join me in taking your Bibles and turning to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings 18, we're going to continue our journey in verses 41 through 46. We have, for the last several weeks, been looking at the life of Elijah, humble heroism. And today we're going to continue that study together today. But before we jump in and read the text, does it ever amaze you how different people can respond to the same event so differently? Something can happen and two people can be at the exact same place and their responses can be completely opposite. Take, for example, an amusement park. We walk into amusement park and normally there is going to be that individual who is going to ride everything, every roller coaster, every ride, not afraid. That's what they're there for. And then there's going to be that individual that doesn't want a part of any of it. They don't want to go on it. They don't know why we're here. Don't understand why anybody would enjoy this. Why did we pay money for this? Let's just go home. Concerts are kind of the same way. Some people are concert people. You walk in and it's huge, uh, huge auditorium. The lights are off. The music is deafeningly loud. And you could interview someone after a concert like that and say, how did you like it? And they would say, it was the most moving experience of my life. And you could ask the next person, I hope I never have to go back to anything like that again. Same event, two completely different reactions. Well, I want you to know that spiritually that that can happen as well. The same exact thing can happen to people and they respond completely differently. And that's exactly what we're looking at this morning. We're going to take a look or a look into the window of two different souls. You can remember as we've been traveling through the life of Elijah that last week we reached the climax of the story that Elijah has taken on the Baal prophets and they found themselves at the top of Mount Carmel and Elijah has made it very clear if God be God then serve him if Baal be God then serve him but you can no longer waver between two opinions you can't have your foot in both camps you must choose and we had a showdown and do you remember who won that showdown God is the right answer thank you Mark that should have been one that any of you could have gotten. Even if you weren't here, you could have cheated and guessed. That was the Sunday school answer. God won. He absolutely won. But he won in devastating fashion. He won in incredible fashion. As he sends a fireball out of the sky and it explodes the altar. You'll remember that. And immediately when that took place, the people hit the ground and they bowed prostrate before the Lord. And they cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And in the midst of that, we see a pattern that always emerges, not only in the Old Testament, but still today, about how revival takes place in people's lives. Now, when all the time in the Old Testament, you see a four-part pattern. And, and I want to share that with you because we see it here. But if it's going to happen in our nation, if it's going to happen in our church, and if it's going to have to happen in your individual life, you're going to see in just a moment that this is the way it has to happen. Number one... Once people fall into sin, they fall into sin, and after they fall into sin, the judgment of God comes on those people. After having recognized that the reason 
for what they're going through is God's judgment. The people repent, and then and only then do you see the blessing of God. In this particular passage, you're going to see that God is going to send, send rain. But when we talk about revival, what we have seen is, is that you'll never have revival outside of repentance. People often want God's blessing, but they don't want to repent beforehand, and it's absolutely not possible. But we find ourselves now still at the top of Carmel, and sometimes we leave a story once it reaches the apex. But we can't afford to leave this story because you have to know what happens immediately after that instance if you want to have a window into two souls. So as you read about these two people and how they responded over the next few verses, I want you to think about how you respond to God's activity in your own life. Would you stand with me and let's read together. 1 Kings chapter 18, we begin together in verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel and bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. And the seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds and the wind rose and a heavy rain came and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, tucking his cloak into his belt. He ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Lord, would you teach us today to have awareness and to respond to your activity in the world and around us so that our spiritual lives may be healthy. In Jesus' name, amen. God is moving all the time, everywhere. He's moving in our lives. He's moving in the world. He's moving in churches. God is at work. The question is whether or not we are noticing God at work in the world. Our big idea this morning is that awareness and response to God's activity in the world around us is necessary for a healthy spiritual life. So what I'm asking you to do this morning is to look into this passage, to look into the life of Ahab, to look into the life of Elijah, and then in turn look into your life and ask the question, am I aware and am I responding to the things that God is doing all around me? And so today I want to ask four questions. They're really simple questions. But if you want to know today whether or not you are aware and responding to God around you, then you need to look at yourself and examine your own heart and take a look into the window of your own soul and ask these four questions. Here's the first of those four questions. Number one, how do you respond to the movements of God around you? Look with me at these two characters. You have Elijah and you have Ahab. Now, what's so fascinating about this is that the people have fallen down prostrate. They have cried out, the Lord is God. We see in the, these few verses that we read the way Elijah responded. He went to the side and he kneeled down and he put his head between his knees and he prayed out to the Lord God Almighty. But what is it that we find Ahab doing? We don't find him prostrate. We don't find him praising God. We don't find him thanking God. We don't find him repenting of sin. We don't find him acknowledging God. In fact, we actually see what I think is one of the strangest commands in all of Scripture. Elijah looks at him and he said, why don't you go on back and get you something to eat and drink? 
What? After everything we just read, we're told that Ahab gets in his chariot and goes back to eat and to drink. You notice that in this passage that Ahab went back to doing exactly what he was doing before the incident on, Car in, on Mount Carmel. Exactly the life he had before, living it the exact same way he had before. Before the incident happened, he was eating and drinking and being merry. He was worried about his own life. He wasn't worried about the spiritual state of Israel. The only thing on his mind was whether or not it was going to rain again so it could line his pockets. And the reason he wanted to find Elijah was not because he was concerned about Elijah or concerned about the spiritual state of the nation. He wanted to find Elijah because he thought Elijah was the reason that things weren't raining. But once this showdown takes place, the absolutely quintessential time for a revival to break forth in his heart, for him to repent, no, instead what does he do? He gets in his chariot and he heads home to have supper. And Elijah allows that, and why is that? Because Elijah saw something about Ahab and it's something that we need to be very careful about, and here's what it was. He knew that his heart was so hard that no matter what had just happened, he wasn't even going to pay attention and he wasn't going to notice. You'll hear people from time to time, students, old people, say, you know, if I could just see a sign from God, if I could just hear a sign from God, then I would follow it and obey. And I would turn your hearts towards this passage and ask, what more would God have to have done to have gotten someone's attention? He sent a fireball that not only ate up the altar itself and the sacrifice, but it says that it ate up the stones and it ate a hole in the dirt. The ground was removed. And yet Ahab gets in his chariot and goes back home to have supper, having ignored everything that he just witnessed. I am convinced, friends, that if we are not very, very careful, your heart can become hardened to the things of God and what God is doing all around you. You see, friends, as we live our lives and do our thing and go to the places we want to go and enjoy our lives, if we aren't paying attention and we aren't observing, then God may be moving all around you, but you're refusing to see it because you're so interested in what you've got going on that you don't allow the Holy Spirit to break through and show you what ought to be obvious right in front of your face. And you say, but, but wait a minute now, Larry, hold on just a minute. If I were to see the fire fall from heaven and it lick up the stones of an altar, that's different. I'm telling you, friends, you do not have to be the most spiritual person in the world to look around and see that God is moving in your life. You don't even have to, sometimes even in a worship service, you have to be spiritually dense and hard-hearted for God not to break through in your heart and you're, you not listen. If you're not hearing God, it's not because God is not speaking. If you're not seeing God, it's not because God is not moving. If you're not experiencing that, it's because you've got a calloused heart to the things of God. And we need to be very careful about how we are responding. But I couldn't help but wonder this. Top of Mount Carmel, the fire falls. God licks up the stones of the altar after all the Baal prophets have cut themselves and danced around in this competition. What if Ahab had been given a true false questionnaire right after that event on Carmel and he was asked this, True or false, Yahweh is the true God. How would he have responded? I think that's an interesting question. Because God left absolutely no doubt. 
that Baal had no power, that the Astros had no power, that they were no God. I would submit to you that absolutely, without a doubt, Ahab would have said, Yahweh is God. You say, well, that surprises me, Larry. You really think that he believed in Yahweh after this event? No doubt. You didn't have any choice. What other choice would he have had after this event? So how could he have believed that Yahweh was the only true God and yet responding by getting in his chariot and going back to have supper? How do you respond like that? And friends, this has been a little overwhelming to me what I'm about to tell you. I believe what we see in Ahab is a picture of many people in the modern church. And let me tell you what I mean by that. He was convinced, but he was not converted. Convinced, but not converted. Can somebody be convinced of the truths of the gospel and unconverted by the gospel? Absolutely. Let me show you. Do you believe Jesus is God? Do you believe that he was born of a virgin? Do you believe that he lived 33 years of sinless perfection? Do you believe that he died on Calvary's cross? Do you believe that he rose again on the third day? Do you believe that if somebody repented of their sins and put their trust in him that they could be saved? Do you believe that he not only rose but walked the earth for 40 days before he ascended? And do you believe that he's coming back? You could believe all of those things and be lost because you could be convinced and not be converted. Here's what happened to Ahab. He believed that the Lord was God, but he refused to surrender to that God. He refused to submit to that God. We believed the truths because the truths were obvious. And friends, it is possible in church to believe some of the right things about God, but because you've never responded to what God is doing in your life and around you, you've never submitted to his lordship. You've never laid prostrate before him. You've never repented of your sins and you've never acknowledged him. Friends, you can absolutely be convinced and unconverted. And I'm telling you that the danger to the modern church is the same danger to Israel, and that is being familiar with God but not being afraid of God. It is being familiar with God but not changed by God. It is being aware of your sin but not repenting of your sin. There is a large difference, my friends, and I want you to hear me well. There is a large difference in being convinced and being converted. How do you respond to the movement of God around you? Question one. Question two. Are you sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Are you sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Listen to what he tells Ahab. This is a strange interaction. He says, you go on down and go back and eat and drink. For there is the sound of heavy rain. First of all, and this may be my flesh in this story when I read it. I want to know why that God didn't kill Ahab with all the prophets. Of all the people that are guilty, you allowed this. You married that literal Jezebel. You brought her into the nation of Israel. You gave her complete spiritual control. The nation went bankrupt. And if anybody should be held accountable, it ought to be you. But God, in his sovereignty, allows Ahab to live. And he tells him, why don't you go down and eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. Well, that verse doesn't make sense in light of the next couple of verses if we don't talk about this for just a moment. Because how is there the sound of heavy rain when at that moment there's not a cloud in the sky? Did you notice that? 
Because he tells Ahab that, but then he tells his servant, hey, go look and see on the horizon if you see any clouds. Servant comes back not once, but twice, but seven, six times before he even sees a cloud. And only on the seventh time does he come back and say, well, there's a cloud that's about the size of a man's fist. It's real small. It's out on the horizon. So at this point in time, it wasn't raining. It wasn't thundering. There was no lightning. There was no, the ground was not wet, but yet Elijah says there is the sound of heavy rain. Why? Chapter 18, verse 1. Go present yourself before Ahab, for I am sending rain on to the land. It was as good as raining in Elijah's heart because he believed God. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now listen to me. Here's where it's really, really important. There had not been a drop of rain. There had not been a clap of thunder. But Elijah says there is the sound of heavy rain. People that are in tune with the Spirit of God are led by the Spirit of God. They know the Word of God, and in turn, they trust God for what God has told them He is going to do. Are you listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit as it speaks through you, to you through the Word of God? Now, I want to be careful anytime I make this point because there seems to be this growing apostasy that you have to have dreams and visions and hear voices. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, do you have a strong enough relationship with God through the reading of the Word and being under the preaching of the Word and worshiping the Lord and praying that the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you listen? Now, I'm not telling you that the Lord can't do enormous things to get your attention. Obviously, sometimes He blows up altars with fireballs. We just read that. But 99.9% .9 of the time, the Holy Spirit works in a still, small voice. And you say, but, but Larry, how, is, how do I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? Number one, you're not going to hear him if you don't know him. And you're not going to know him until you repent of your sin and give your life to Christ. But if you are saved, you say, I I'd like to have more spiritually sensitive ears. How is that going to happen in my life? Here's how it's going to happen. When God does tell you to do something, do it. Men in here, can I talk to you for just a minute? Ladies, y'all can take a break. Any of you husbands in here ever been told that you have selective hearing? You listen to what you want to listen to. We had that conversation. I told you that. I don't remember that. I, I didn't hear that. Because you heard what you wanted to hear, right? How many of us, when it comes to the Word of God, have selective hearing? And what God says is, if you want to hear my voice, when I do speak to you, do what I'm telling you to do. And the more that you obey the Word of God by the Spirit of God, the more spiritually sensitive your ears will become, and the more it will be revealed to you. It's just that simple. It's not complicated. Are you sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in your life? Number three. Number three. Do you take seriously the command to take care of your soul and to recharge? Do you take seriously the command to care for your soul and recharge? Look at verse 42. In the midst of everything that's going on in this passage, what does Elijah do? He takes a timeout 
And he goes and gets by himself, and verse 42 tells us that he kneels down, he puts his face between his knees, and he begins to pray. People are screaming, coming off the mountain. People are crying out to God. Ahab's got a chariot that's going down the mountain. Rain's supposed to be coming, and yet in the middle of it, he says, hold on a minute. There's something i got to do before I do anything else. I'm worried about us. And I don't say that lightly. This is not a joke. I'm worried about us. And I'll tell you one of the reasons that I am. It is very difficult, seemingly, for most people, students, working people, senior adults, it's very, very difficult, seemingly, for people to balance their public life with their private devotion. And there is a malady that is attacking the church, and that is a lack of soul care, caring for your soul. This world is nuts. It is crazy. People are crazy. Amen? Some of you can say amen to that. And look at me. You're stressed. You're anxious. You think somebody ought to give you a cookie for burning the candle on both ends? The byword over our life is that we are busy. We are anxious. And I'm worried about us. And one of the reasons I'm worried about us is you cannot run on empty all the time. You can't. You can't run on empty. It, it, it's true in your car. It's true in your physical life. Recently, my wife made a, a purchase, and she bought it's a charging station that goes at our house. You've seen these. It's just a, a small white charging station. It's got slots in it. You could put, you, and it's got all types of ports where you can plug in phones and tablets and everything that you'd want to plug in and have it all right here on this one spot. And I walked by the other day, and there's just cords coming all out of it. You can never find the right cord, but it's got a lot of cords that are coming out of this thing. And there's two or three devices that are plugged into this thing, and I'm, I'm looking at it. And I recognize something, and that is anytime I look at my phone, if it's red up at the top, that means it's under 20% charged, I am hunting a charger immediately because we absolutely freak out if we think about it. Oh, if my phone went dead, what would I do? I, the, the world might stop spinning, amen? How would I function? And so we're trying to find this charger, and we're getting them, we're getting them plugged in. But I wonder how many of you, if there was a battery meter on your life, if there was a, a fuel gauge on your life, what are you running on? What percentage are you running on? Now, now certainly I'm talking about physically, They're physically and spiritually. Some of you need to be introduced to a concept. It's called the holy nap. Now, I say that a little bit in jest, some of you are really good at that, as a matter of fact. Not now. 
Don't take one now. But the reason I mention that is this. We've got to take care of our bodies. We've got to do a better job of recognizing that our, we are physical beings and that to have right soul care, we have to have the right rest. We have to do the right things to take care of our bodies. But specifically today, I'm talking even more about spiritually recharging. When we feel like we're running on empty all the time, how many of you know what it is to feel exhausted more days than you don't feel exhausted? How many of you know what it is to feel stressed more days than you don't feel stressed? How many of you know what it is that anxiety seems like it's always with you? That's not healthy. You don't get a cookie for that because that's not how you're supposed to live. In fact, it's the opposite of how we're supposed to live, right? Cast your cares upon Jesus because he cares for you. Why do you worry about tomorrow? Tomorrow's got enough worry of its own. Take, take care of this day. He clothes the lilies of the field, right? He feeds the birds of the air. He's going to take care of you. All those things being said, I've noticed, I said I'm worried because I feel like this is how we're living. Number one, we have a lot of people that are just living on adrenaline. And that is an actual chemical that our body produces. And it, thankfully, we do. It is what charges us up when, we, when we're in danger or when we have an extra burst. If you've ever felt like you weren't tired in a situation where you should have been tired, that's your adrenaline kicking in. But if you tap out your adrenal glands all the time because all you are doing is running on adrenaline, it's no wonder why you are anxious and tired and stressed out and angry and mad and all of those things. You're not meant to run like that. That's supposed to only kick in in times of absolute necessity. That's not supposed to run all the time. So, so we, we like to run on adrenaline. What else do we like to run on? Oh, some of you right now couldn't even be here, couldn't even have made it this morning if you didn't have your caffeine. Now, don't run out of here. I'm never coming back there. He preached against coffee. That's. But we've gotten to a point where we have 11-year-olds running around drinking $12 teas. I bought one of those the other day and almost had a stroke. I'd never had one. They said, they said, oh, that'll be $12. I said, no, I only bought one. <laughs> but we're running around on that. Nobody drank coffee when I was 11. You say, why are you on this kick? It's because I think it may be symptomatic of a societal issue where we're running on adrenaline, we're running on caffeine, or we're running on prescription pills. Now, I want to be careful with this. I am not saying that there aren't, isn't a necessity for medication. But I do think we've gotten to a point where we run our lives into the ground physically and spiritually, and then we say there's got to be a pill for this. There is not a pill for that when you are separated from God, when you haven't rested, when you haven't taken care of your life, and you're not recharged. Some of you need to say, you know what, I've got to take hold of this because I'm running on empty, I'm running on caffeine, I'm running on adrenaline, and I'm running on pills. Maybe it is that something's not right. Now, I realize this is a touchy subject, and I'm not, please don't run out of here and take 
I'm not giving you medical advice, but I am saying spiritually that there are some things that we need that we ought to look into our lives and seriously think about. Psalm 46:10 says to be still and know that I am God. Elijah had spent time in Kareth at the ravine, in Zarephath with the widow, and now on Carmel. But one thing he did not do was take his, take his spiritual condition for granted. He's still praying. Now listen to me. There are too many people that are trying to live their present spiritual lives on past experiences. In other words, we had Disciple Now a couple of weekends ago. That's fantastic. Maybe you had a great weekend, you got closer to the Lord. That's great. But what I'm interested in, what is God doing in your life now? Like today, this Sunday. You went to camp last summer. That's fantastic. Hope you had a great week. But sometimes I think the way we do student ministry is that we say, you know what we want to do? Let's fuel you up. We'll give you one weekend in January and then fuel you up again and give you one week in June. And that ought to last you till January again. And the reason that we do that is because that's how some of us talk about our spiritual life. Well, I got saved when I was nine and then one time when I was in junior high, I got closer to the Lord. Then when I went to college, I got in a Bible study. And I'm telling you, friends, if all we're doing spiritually is waiting on the next momentous event to get charged up to try to make it last the next time till the next time around, it's no wonder your red light is on. It's no wonder you're running on empty because God wants to be every day filling your cup so that you can run in a way that you can see the finish line and that you take seriously the the command to care for your life. Now, there's something interesting. Elijah's still praying, and he's still praying for rain. When in 18.1, God has said, there is going to be rain. We know from James 5 that it talks about Elijah, that he prayed for rain when God had already promised that rain was coming. Now, is that unfaithful? Not if we understand the nature of prayer. You want to have a prayer, better prayer life? Join God in what he is already doing and pray for that. Join God in what God desires to do and pray for that. Do you take seriously the command to care for your soul and recharge? And then last question. Do you put the commands of God ahead of societal pressures? You say, where do you get that from this passage? Out of this weird verse... 46. If you got kind of tired as I was reading and maybe didn't finish out reading it, that's an odd verse of Scripture. Because all of a sudden, almost like a footnote, he sends Ahab down, and then it tells us that he tucks his cloak and begins to run. Now, the way that that, that would have looked he would have had a long garment that would have come down past his knees. So to keep from impeding him, he lifts that up and he puts it in, tucks it into his belt and he takes off. Now, I couldn't leave well enough alone. I had to know how far that is. And scholars differ a little bit, but it's between 13 and 18 miles. It wasn't that he just jogged down a hill. He took off. But don't miss this. He beat a horse-drawn chariot. Now, this isn't like some Carl Lewis, Usain Bolt natural ability. God, Holy Spirit, placed on Elijah, and he said, go get it. 
Now, I want to see the fire fall down, but I would love to see him take off down that mountain. <laughs> so he takes off and just smokes Ahab and his chariot. Boom. But I'm trying to figure out reading the passage, why? This passage makes more sense to me in my natural man if he runs the other way, which we're going to talk about that next week. But if he'd have run away from where Ahab was going, I'm with that. Hey, put the burners on and take off, Elijah. But no, he runs in front of Ahab. Why? This perplexed me for a couple of days, trying to make sense of that. And, And then I remembered something about the Old Testament. There are three primary offices in the Old Testament. Do you know what those three primary offices are? Prophet, priest, and king. You can remember that from the hymn. Crown him prophet and priest and king. Now, what's so fascinating in Israel's life is that every time they got out of sync and out of order, their lives became disjuncted and they got unconnected with the Holy One. So what was always supposed to be the office that let out? All right, go back with me. Let's do a little Bible history. Do you remember the story of Samuel? And he is leading the people. Samuel has the role of both prophet and of priest. But as the role of prophet, what we remember is that he is the one that anointed King Saul. And he gave Saul the directions that the nations would prosper, and so would he as long as he followed the commands of God. And from that time on, it was set up that the prophets would always go in front of the kings. That if the kings would follow the prophets and the word of the Lord and the word of God, that the nation would go the right way. It's the same way in the new covenant in our lives. If we don't put anything ahead of the word of God and allow it to lead out and we don't get out in front of it, then our lives are in proper balance and it's in the right order. But what had happened in Israel, the king and queen of Israel, Ahab and Jezebel, had forsaken the prophets, had forsaken the law, had forsaken the priesthood, and gone out ahead and made their own rules and their own law and their own religion. And the reason I believe that we see this prophet taking off down this mountain was after God blew up the altar. It was God's way of showing Ahab and everyone else is that my word will always go ahead of every position. I will always be in front. And if you allow the word of God to precede everything else in worship and in your life, then your life finds a proper balance. But if it takes a backseat to anyone or anything, you are going to fail and fail miserably. Do you put the commands of God ahead of societal pressures? So I mentioned to you just a few moments ago that what we were looking at in this passage was a window into two souls. But actually, this morning, the goal, and maybe I should change the title, is this really should be a window into three souls. Ahab's, Elijah's, and yours, and yours. I challenge you this morning 
to take a deep, close examination of your own life. And I want you to look with me very quickly over these four questions. And here's what I believe with all of my heart. I believe that of the people listening, that it would be impossible if someone was aware and at all spiritually sensitive, not for one of those questions not to be bothering you right now. Maybe two or three of them, maybe all four. But if you can walk out of here and say, no, I respond, I respond perfectly to the movements of God. I always give Him glory. I always give Him praise. I notice everything that, that happens around my life. I'm completely in tune with the work of God, and, and I'm good on that. If you can say, hey, I'm, I'm, sensi I'm always sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I don't ever disobey. If you can say, you know what? I'm not only well-rested, but I spend plenty of time in personal devotion, and I recharge just like I'm supposed to. And I always let the Word of God lead out in my life. I don't ever allow societal pressures to affect me more than the Word of God. If you can say that, then I'm just going to say it. I think you're a liar. Because I don't think any of us are there. But maybe this is overwhelming this morning. That's a lot of questions. So maybe to simplify things, you'd pick one. And most of you have already picked one. Maybe you're taking notes today, and this doesn't have to be for anybody else. Maybe you just put a star by one of those questions, or circle one. Lord, you know where I'm at on this. Because when we come to invitations, Really, the invitation is not just about inviting someone to come to know Jesus. That's important. And if you haven't done that, you've got to. And it's not just about somebody coming to join the church. If you're looking for a church home, I don't know why you would look any further. We want you to be a part of what God's doing here. But really, the majority of every invitation that is given at this church is for the believer and the church member to respond to something that God has done in your life and done through the preaching and the revealed Word of God. It is about being obedient. So you're really given a choice today. Leave and change nothing and become more callous to what it is the Holy Spirit has placed on your life and called you to do. Or be courageous enough to repent of what God's placed on your life and listen to the voice of God. Would you stand with me? Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.